Welcome to episode 10 of the Festival Rules. I'm Josh Horowitz. I'm Ben Lyons. We did it! Well, we haven't done it we yet. We did it, Josh! No, no, it's not. We, we survived Sundance. We got through it. We haven't gotten through this episode. We might die before the episode ends. A little presumptuous. But this is the last episode of this run of the Festival Rules. We've had a blast at the Sundance Film Festival. It, yeah, I get, get emotional. You know, you know how much I love it out there. I know. I've seen this man cry more times in this last week than it's I expected. It's been a lot of weeping this year for a lot of different reasons. It's been a heavy Sundance, but one where I leave, as always, feeling inspired to do better and contribute more. Totally. So we have one more interview up our sleeves. Uh, I got a chance to talk to the great Julia Louis-Dreyfus starring in Downhill there. Uh, she is a delight. The film I love is super seeing fun. that out there, seeing a movie set in the snow yes. on a ski trip amongst uh, uh, you know people who ski every day. Totally. It really felt good to see it out there. Perfect setting for it. So that's coming up a little bit later. But before we get to that, we kind of want to, we, we've been able to talk about a lot of movies and performances and direction, direction that we've really appreciated. But we thought a way to kind of wrap this in a bow is to give out our own awards uh, for the films we saw. Keep in mind, we did not see a fraction of everything. These but are the you films, can't though. Yeah. And that's the thing with Sundance, right? And we hopefully have given you guys who have listened to these episodes a sense of the festival and that. Part of it is you can't be everywhere and see everything and do everything. We try our best. And I think with the two of us combined, a nice little fire and ice duo, we're able to- <laughs> Which to, one am I? To kind of cover <laughs> cover that the festival from all aspects. But there are so many films, so many performances, so many artists that don't even just you know pop up, don't pop up on your radar. And it's tough to see everything. And we saw a lot. And this is the best of what we saw. Totally. So, okay. So where should we start? Which category do you want to do first? Uh, let's start with best documentary. Okay. Best documentary. We got a chance to look Sundance, as we said at the outset, is a festival that is as devoted to docs as they are to narrative features. Uh, I saw a few great ones. My favorite, and it was one of the last films I saw, it was actually the last film I saw, is Boys State. Have you heard about this I've one? I've heard about this. It's just, Yeah, you tell me about it. But this was one that I, I felt its presence in Utah. Everyone was talking about it on the buses and yes. around the restaurants. I'm glad you got a chance to see it. Tell it, me about it. Yeah, so it's basically a, a doc about the American Legion for many, many years has been conducting these kind of mock government elections. For a week every year, they gather these the, the best and the brightest students. And within that week, they kind of erect their own government. They uh, they have debates, they position people for different positions, and they ultimately have elections. And it's a really interesting snapshot that takes place in Austin, Texas, of these boys that um, are trying to sort through democracy and sort through political issues that the same issues we're all dealing with, especially in these volatile times. And it, and it, it, it's a snapshot of these great individuals, but it's also a snapshot of America today. Uh, it, it follows great characters you will not forget. It's very well done. It's already sold, I believe, to Apple for a lot of money. So you'll see it later on this year. I would not be surprised if this one gets awards attention. Voice State is my doc. What's very your, cool. What's a good choice, man. And again, a movie I felt its presence out in Utah. I couldn't score a ticket for it, unfortunately, but I'm happy to hear that it's already found a home and, and I'll be able to see it soon. I'm going to go with uh, a movie that also has a home in Nat Geo. It's Rebuilding paradise. You had a chance to see this. We sat down with director Ron Howard. It's the story of the devastating fires in Paradise, California. He was on the ground, I think Ron said it's seven or eight days after, and followed the town and followed the rebuilding process for an entire year. It's a film that will break you. It's a film that will terrify you, but there are glimmers of hope. You see humanity coming together. And to talk to Ron Howard, um, 
early in our in our week at Sundance about how he accumulated all the footage, how he worked hand in hand with the police department to use body cams from the cops who were trying to save people as the fire was spreading. Uh, as just as a you know, learning about film and how a director puts together a project of this scope, I found fascinating. The movie again is coming out on Nat Geo later this year. It's called Rebuilding Paradise. My choice for best documentary that I saw at Sundance. Good pick, good pick. Okay. And so the, just yeah. also about the Sundance documentaries, the last three years at the Oscars, maybe even four years, but definitely in the last three years, the O.J. Simpson documentary from ESPN, Icarus from Netflix, and Free Solo yep. uh, all came out of Sundance. Yeah, and not to mention, I really dug uh, Hillary, and the, the, and we both liked the Taylor Swift one. There the were a lot of great, hunters, too. Yeah, there are a lot of great docs this year. Okay, let's do supporting actor. How about that? For best supporting actor, Ben, why don't you go first on this one? Uh, best supporting actor for me is going to go to Blair Underwood in Bad Hair. Blair oh, yeah. Underwood okay. plays the father of the lead character, and he is really rooted in the traditions uh, of African history and culture, and he wants to impart those on his children. And he's got some really poignant scenes, intimate scenes at the kitchen table where he's trying to provide guidance to his daughter who has just been possessed by a demonic weave. (laughs) But he grounds this movie, and I think Blair Underwood deserves some recognition for his performance in Justin Simeon's Bad Hair. I like that one. Excellent. Okay, here's another one that I think you'll agree uh, delivered a great performance. We both uh, just loved Palm Springs. I was really taken with J.K. Simmons in this film. (laughs) He, okay, so bear with me. At the the start, he's a madman. I don't want to reveal too much, but this character goes through an evolution. He is not what he appears to be. He seems to be something of a madman, but by the end, he delivers maybe some of the most poignant stuff in the film. Wouldn't you agree? I feel like a year from now, we'll be able to impart some of that wisdom on people. And if I see somebody and I say, hey man, I hope you find your Irvine. Right. I think it's going to mean something to people. So (laughs) shout out to J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons always delivering. I really dug him in this one. Uh, Let's do supporting actress. I'll start with this one. How about this? Yeah. I, forgive me, I will not have the pronunciation correctly, but I'm going to give this to an actress named Yu Jung Yoon. She is in Minari. Uh, Minari, another film everybody was talking about. I ha- I was thrilled to see this film. She plays, okay, so set the scene a little bit. This is a film set in the 80s. It's about a Korean family that moves to Arkansas and tries to make their way. Uh, it's about a very intimate family unit. And uh, this actress that I've mentioned plays the grandmother that's brought in a little bit of the ways in. Um, it's it's nothing is really what you would expect, I think, on the face of it. These aren't broad characters. They're very specific, lived-in characters. And I I was really moved by her performance in this, moved by all the performances in this film. But uh, I'd love to see her uh, on the awards circuit a year from now. Uh, she really delivered in this film. You probably will. Uh, very, very likely. Yeah, yeah, that's what's so great about Sundance is that here we are on the record in February talking about movies that a year from now are going to be in the zeitgeist and part of the culture. And Minari, I'll go on the record and saying that will definitely be something that people will be talking about months after its run in Utah. Um, I'm going to go with Shirley Chen. We had her on the podcast. She is a breakout star in the Alec Baldwin produced Beast Beast directed by Danny Madden. She plays a young girl obsessed with drama at her school, not the gossip, but the drama department. She's putting her heart and soul into her musical theater. And you can tell she's destined for something bigger than the small town where she's from. And she just pops on screen when you meet her in person, she's got a, a tr- an infectious energy. Shirley Chen will be a household name 
uh, a few years down the road. So shout out to her. She's my choice for supporting actress. Excellent. Okay, so we've done supporting actor, actress. Let's go to actor. How about that? Yeah, uh, supporting actor oh, is we, someone. Uh, is that, sorry, uh, uh, regular. Lead yeah, lead, lead actor. actor. Um, best actor at Sundance. The best performance I saw is from Andy Samberg in Palm Springs. That's my pick. Yes, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> he crushed that movie. He, did. he crushed it. It's <laughs> it's a ridiculous character. The premise is insane, but Sandberg delivers a performance that is up there with all of the comedy heroes that he so admires, the Bill Murrays and the Adam Sandlers and just the Jim Carreys. And it's just an all-timer. And yes. Yeah. Funny. There's, there's, so funny. there's nothing more to say. It's hysterical and yet poignant by the end. Uh, he's amazing at it. But like great performances, Josh. You and I noticed certain things a few days later. Yes, we did. Whether it's a great dramatic performance that moves you deeply or a comedic performance that makes you laugh, if you notice things two days later, right? We were talking about the whole dance scene, yes. and we're like, "Oh, that's right." He—he's adding layers to it. It's not a one-note character performance by any means. Totally, totally. Okay, so let's move to actress since we agreed on actor. Yeah. Actress, I'm going to give. This was a tough one. My, I'll get. I'm, I'm going to cheat and give my runner-up. My runner-up was Amy Ryan in Lost Girls. I thought she was excellent in that. Um, but my winner would be Carrie Mulligan, who I think just that movie does not exist. Promising Young Woman without Carrie Mulligan's sublime performance. Uh, she going to get enough attention? You think for uh, like uh, the real awards, not just the festival <laughs> not, awards? Uh, I don't know what you're saying. Sorry, sorry. This is the most prestigious award in Hollywood. There's so many other factors. Carrie Mulligan uh, should be sending us lots of gifts <laughs> to try to get our votes. I would say like there's so many other factors going into the end of the year awards. Like obviously this film opens in, in the spring, but she is beloved by, you know, voters. So I, I could see her being in the race. Uh, like I said, this film is one of my favorites of the entire festival. It lives or dies on her uh, funny and, and dramatic performance, uh, promising young woman. I don't want to reveal too much about where the movie goes, but she delivers. My choice for best actress this year at the Sundance Film Festival goes to a woman who has sat in this chair in your office, Sienna Miller for Wander Darkly. Uh, I would also be remiss to to not mention Diego Luna's performance in that film, the two of them so intertwined. But for best actress, it goes to Sienna, hands down. Uh, She's in every frame of the movie. And she um, just broke my heart from the moment she's on screen, uh, what her character experiences and I think, like you said on, on, on Happy, Sad, Confused, your, your regular podcast, um, she's really in a zone where, it, you know, it's the, the Roger Ailes film, the thing for, fa- uh, for Showtime yep. she did. Loudest Voice. Loudest yeah. Voice and then American Woman and just a career and a body of work all of a sudden that is um, just at the top of the game. So yeah. I, I, I was just so moved by her performance in Wander Darkly. She gets my vote. And I hope she gets momentum all the way towards the, the real awards, if you will. <laughs> I will say best director. This is a good segue because my best director is Tara Mealy. As is mine, Josh. Okay. So she is the writer-director. That also influenced my pick here. Yeah. She's the writer-director of Wander Darkly. I know a film that you adore. Uh, and it's a very personal story to her. And it's a very – if you listen back to the earlier episode, you'll get some more info. But this is a love story, but it's also very uniquely told, um, pinging back and forth in time. Um, it, you know, I, I referenced in the interview with them, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. There are echoes of that. It's not an easy way into a story, but Tara finds a very unique way to dissect love story. Tara Mealy is a true artist in every sense of the word, is what Sundance is all about. 
Her heartwarming introduction to her film set the tone for a magical afternoon in the library theater. She said, I directed a student film 20 years ago at Slam Dance, and it took me 20 years to get down the mountain to come play at Sundance. And for anyone who's been to that festival, you'll know what that means. I think uh, she's someone who's going to uh, just have a moment in, in, in culture, and I'm so excited to see what she does next. Keep, keep tabs on how many Instagram followers she has. I think right now she's under a thousand. <laughs> I think she's going to be over five thousand by the Oscars next year. She's uh, a beast, and I'm so happy I got to connect with her and see that film. And I'm happy you chose her as best director as well because that was hands down my choice. Okay, so best picture. Uh, my pick it was pretty easy. I love Palm Springs, but I'm going to go with Minari. Palm Springs warmed my heart and made me laugh, but Minari really moved me. We'll do it like the Globes. Best musical or comedy that goes to Palm Springs, right? We we can do it like the Globes. Sure, sure, sure. Shout out to Moon Hour. (laughs) So Minari, as I said before, uh, is a really moving piece of work about a family, and it's it's got such amazing performances. I almost picked Stephen Ewan for best best actor. He is exceptional in it. It's written and directed by Lee Isaac Chung. Uh, I don't know anything about the back background of this film. This may be his story growing up. I would not be surprised if it is. If it isn't, all the more power to him that he was able to create something so specific and authentic. Uh, Minari, a really special movie, my pick for best picture. Obviously, you know my pick is. It's Wander Darkly, but I'll add something to it. I saw the film on Saturday afternoon and was so taken and moved and appreciative for my life. I reached out to my family, to my wife, to Uh, my niece and nephew, I reached out to everyone I care about and just said, I love you. I was so moved by it. And then the news broke on Sunday of Kobe Bryant's passing along with his daughter, Gianna, and seven other passengers on that helicopter. And as you and I, Josh, talked about the mood and the energy at Sundance just shifted and changed. And then I went back and I revisited Wander Darkly. And I had an even deeper connection to the film because once again, it reminded me of the fragility of life the beauty of life, what's important, prioritizing time. Time is not infinite, but love is. And to hold on to love, to nurture it, to appreciate it. I just reconnected to the film a day later in a deeper way, if that's even possible. And I will always appreciate that Wander Darkly was part of my healing experience around the tragic loss of Kobe Bryant. Uh, I love that movie too. And I'm thrilled that I got a chance to sit next to you during what I know was a very emotional experience for you. 90 minutes long, 88 and a half of them. I was in tears. (laughs) That's facts. I I witnessed it, people. Um, I didn't cry during- uh, I think it's that theater. The library library. theater. Like let's let's paint a picture on the different theaters quickly for the folks who haven't gone to Sundance. The (laughs) library is literally a A library library. (laughs) that is transformed into about what? 350, 400 seats. At least, yeah. Over the years, seen movies like The Rider there and Dope and the one where Sarah Silverman uh, is a drug addict that Adam Sulky directed. I smile back. Yes, yeah, smile back. I, I watched uh, Rooney Mara eat a pie for 10 minutes in, in Ghost Tale or Ghost Story. What was that called? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but you understand the programming that goes into the library. Eccles is where we saw Miss Americana. The big it's the big premieres. Zola already has distribution from A24. It's in a performing arts center or a high school, I think. And it's about 1,200 seats, got a balcony. 
Didn't get a chance this year to go to the Egyptian. I can't believe you've you've never been to the Egyptian. So the Egyptian is the only theater that's actually in like Park City proper, like literally on Main Street. You've seen photos of it, the big marquee. It's at the top of the hill. For some reason, I have in 14 years of going to Sundance, never seen a single film there. That's so weird. Next dude. year, we're going to remedy this. We didn't uh, get a chance this year to go to the Prospector. Prospector or Mark? Or the, I went. No, I went to the Mark and okay. I saw Charm City Kings there. Okay. No, I saw the the Ray. The Mark, Prospector, and Ray, they all blend. And, it, and throw in the temple. I just know that's like two buses. That's all I got. And I went to the P&I, the Press and Industry Screening, which has not gotten an update since 1984. Right. Except that the name, of the, like hotel, the name of the hotel has changed, and we still call it the Yarrow. Yes. The, back in the day, for real old school Sundance heads, it was the Yarrow Hotel. That's where I saw my first Sundance movie and fell off the balcony and cut my arm. Fell or pushed? Uh, Might have jumped. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, uh, yeah. So- Here's a Sundance rule, and I think this applies to all film festivals. Know your theaters. Know where they are. Know how big they are. Uh, know how to get a seat. Know where the bathrooms are. Know where the food is. No, I was going to say, know which ones actually have food. Yes. Very good rule. That Sundance is a really rule, good, festival, good rule. festival rule right there. Okay, one more interview before we wrap up this run of the festival rules. Uh, and this is a good one to go out with. I got a chance to catch up with Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who brought Downhill, which is opening on Valentine's Day, actually, in theaters. This is the remake, if you remember the film Force Majeure a few years back, a great film in its own right. Uh, this is a kind of a remake reinterpretation with Julia and Will Ferrell about a family kind of tested when – they're on vacation, a ski vacation, and an avalanche starts. It's not a really – nothing bad happens except the father, played by Will Ferrell, basically bolts, leaves his family. and <laughs> this, grabs his cell phone and runs. And this has – And she protects the kids. Exactly. Major repercussions on the relationship and a real deep dive into like a relationship. Uh, I should say I, got, I went up to like the St. Regis Hotel up a gondola to interview. Very swaggy. I Not from me, but from Julia. I mean that's Very how she rolls. Very saucy. Josh Horowitz. But I wanted to give a sense because – like, I don't know, what's the weirdest place you did an interview this year or over the years? I mean, we did an interview this year in Nick Braun's hotel room, and I don't think he expected that. So <laughs> he kind of had had to do some uh, some rearranging. Um, we, but, did, we did intros in a closet this year. Yeah, in a, in a storage closet. Um, over the years, I've yeah, I've taken gondolas to do interviews before. Yeah. That was your first gondola ride to an interview? Yeah. Yeah, you, you know, 14th time is the charm. Um, here's my conversation. Oh, I should mention also, um, because it's mentioned in the conversation, um, Julia has deep uh, ties to the Natural Resources Defense Council. She's on the board of directors. Uh, my wife works for that organization. So we mentioned that in the course of this conversation for a little bit of context. Uh, here's my chat with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. It was a process getting here. I took a gondola to get to you. Mm. That's how much I care about you, Julia. <laughs> You're actually my last conversation of this, uh, of this, my 14th Sundance Film Festival. I'm oh still alive. God. Wow. Julia. It's my first. I was going to say, you've never been. Mm-mm. No. How is this possible? So you obviously know plenty of friends, colleagues that have done this before. You know the yeah. legends of Sundance. Yeah. Um, did you know what you were getting yourself into? I had an idea. Uh, but I happily got myself into it because we really wanted our movie to premiere here. So we were happy it worked out. It does feel like you've managed to make not only a great movie, but something that like is like a double great boondoggle where you got to both shoot in a beautiful place and then do press in a beautiful place. Yeah. So triple congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> the trifecta. Yeah, this is rare. <laughs> not since the uh, couples retreat where I went to Bora Bora to do that junket. Oh, Maybe how divine. Maybe think of the sequel. Yeah, yeah, right. So talk to me. Uh, this one has been pretty long in the making. 
Yeah, five years. Five years. So is that by dint of your busy schedule or financing stuff, finding the right co-star? What took five years to get this one? Oh, all of the above and then so much more. First of all, you know, we needed to, uh, we, we started out by adapting the script and uh, we hired Jesse Armstrong, wonderful Jesse Armstrong succession, of, of Succession yeah. fame and Veep fame. And uh, he did a, a stellar job. And um, and then we, of course, had to find directors. And that was, you know, a, a process in and of itself. And, um, and then they did a pass on the script and then we had to cast it. And then we had very small windows of time in which to shoot this sure. because of, Two things from from my point of view. One was my Veep schedule, uh, which took up the huge chunk of the year. And also there's only a certain time of the year where we could shoot it because we really desperately wanted to shoot it actually in Europe. Um, You know, for a moment we were discussing other continents, but this was certainly the best choice. It's funny watching it the big screen, like I, I knew for a fact where it was shot and that you shot it authentically, but at that, at, yet at the same time, there were times where I'm like, that's just too perfect. It's a beautiful oh, green screen. Like, I know. And- it really looks CGI, doesn't it? <laughs> Truly. Yeah, I know, but it wasn't. <laughs> you were there. You felt the chills. Yeah. Um, it's been, by my, my math, seven years since you've been the lead in a feature film. Enough Said was probably the last time. That we- yeah. Was that seven years ago? I think so. 2013 sound well? I don't know. By my math, at least. Okay. So- I guess the question yeah, is, wow. yeah, is, is the question is, again, you obviously have a busy schedule thanks to the TV work, thankfully, but did you have a sense that you had to create your own opportunity? Yes. The big, so that seems kind of insane. <laughs> well, it's true though. Did, did, has that surprised you over the years that you've had to- No, I'm used to it. I'm used to, I'm used to working really hard to get good material and, and sometimes you have to- uh, almost unearth it yourself to a certain extent. I mean, I, I'm not implying that I write the material or sure. that I, uh, other people aren't responsible for the for the different projects I've been on. God knows uh, there are plenty of people involved, but um, it's not low-hanging fruit. Right. And this one, I saw the original as well, Force Majeure, which mm-hmm. is a great film in its own right. Obviously. Had you seen it prior to seeing it? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. upon its original release. So when you were seeing that, like, were you in a mode of, like, looking for material? Like, were you always kind of keeping an open mind for, like, let's look for something? Or were you just going in as a moviegoer or watcher? Uh, no, I was going in specifically uh, with an eye towards adaptation because I had – it was right on the heels of Enough Said. And I had a, a lunch meeting with a bunch of my um, – uh, you know, executive friends over at Searchlight. And we were talking about, what do you want to do next? And I said, you know, the sort of story that really, you know, we were talking about themes of, of, of stories and story, uh, yeah, themes. And I said, well, I really am intrigued by stories in which a, a reality is seen one way and then a lens is taken off and it's seen a different way. That is really intriguing to me. And they said, we just got back from con. We just saw this amazing film and we think it would be amazing to adapt. Let's screen it for you. And so they did and I loved it. And then, you know, and thus it began. And then you really lean into that angle in this film, in this interpretation of it, in terms of looking at it from both sides. Yes. Um, I mean, so for those who don't know, it basically, it's it's 
it's a look at kind of a relationship that is um, put under the microscope after like an absurd kind of crazy event, right? There's an avalanche, which is a small, relatively small event that suddenly has this couple, and especially your character, Billy, really taking a deeper look at what this relationship is built on and how solid it is. Right, right. So it's an interesting departure too. I mean, especially coming off of this character we've seen, Selena, of course, in recent years, where that was a character seemingly that would say anything on her mind and was just sort of an open book, at least in closed quarters. Yes. Billy is kind of like a quiet seether in a way. Like she seems to have stuff bottled up, at least at first in the wake of this incident. Yeah. I don't even know that she knows that she's seething it initially. And I think they're both in such shock. Both characters, uh, Pete uh, played by Will Ferrell and my character, Billy, are sort of in utter shock as to what just happened and did that just happen. Um, And you know how that happens in life sometimes? If something really traumatic occurs, you're not entirely sure if your memory is right. Right. And It's trauma. It's literally like... Quite literally trauma. And... I think she's not sure. And um, and Jesse Armstrong very skillfully thought of inserting a scene in which their initial response is to find someone else to blame as mm. a couple so that they can, and it's a way of bonding back together, isn't it? If you have a common yes. enemy. Yep. And so that's what they do. And they go to the... Uh, head of mountain safety to discuss the uh, the dangerous situation that they both endured. Right. Um, and played, and by the way, that character was uh, played by Christopher Hivju, who was in the original Force Majeure, right. and many fans know him from Game of Thrones. And um, and 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 I thought that was so genius on Jesse's part to think of that because it's sort of the first step. Yep. And it doesn't go the way. Uh, it they they need it to go. It's shocking to me that you and Will have never, let alone collaborated, uh, didn't even know each other prior. No, to we this. didn't know each other. It's so bizarre. I don't. I don't understand, I don't understand you it. Both were like superstars in NBC at the same time. Like well, even like at a mixer. Like I would feel like something would. No, we never. Our paths never crossed. Really, quite. Yeah. Like, and we have friends in common. Yeah. Uh, but it just never happened, and so um, it was quite. It was utterly delightful to meet him for the first time on this project. And literally was, on the set, right? Like you hadn't even like. No, we met prior. Oh, you, uh, okay. Yeah, he, to have a sort of a conversation about the script and the tone and what we were going for, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we talked at great length about the, the movie. And he, uh, and he had not seen Force Majeure, mm. he had only read our adaptation. And so I said to him, you know, you really should see the original film just to make sure you want to do this. And and he said that he would. And then he did. And he was like all more in. into it. Yeah. All in. He was all in. You both share, and I and I also share this, like a love of kind of those delicious, awkward moments. Like it feels like you just like, like revel in it. We really do. <laughs> do you both kind of share that in equal fashion? Does one kind of like let the, let that awkward silence go a little bit longer than the other? I think we both have an ear for awkwardness, to be honest. Yeah. And, uh, and we both had those ears really uh, perked up in this film in particular. Yeah. Um, 
we the, the, there's a scene in the film when we're having a, a dinner in a restaurant with Charlotte in that first scene mm-hmm. and uh when we shot that scene my god there's there's a lot of material that didn't make it in because the uh, <laughs> the awkwardness and the uh, uh, elaborate monologue that Will gives was just so Anyway, it's not really a story except to say that we had a good time doing it. This is a Valentine's Day movie. Yeah. Perfect. I mean, you know my wife a little bit. We we had this discussion before seeing like Marriage Story. Like, are we like we had the agreement before watching that movie? You're like, we're gonna enjoy this movie and not let this create an argument. Yeah. I guess you could look if you're stable in your relationship. Arguments are fine. Divisive movies are fine. Yeah. But this is kind of a fun movie for a couple. Uh, I think so. Right. Yeah, I think so because. It really, it's a movie um, to start a conversation perhaps about the dynamics of relationship and and gender roles in a relationship and speaking truth in a relationship. Um, I, I think that this, this, this movie, the, another theme of the film is um, truth and the denial of truth and the de- denial of fact, which I think is a, a very appropriate theme for, <laughs> for these days. Yes, yes exactly. as a matter of fact. Um, you, of course, again, not to name check my wonderful wife, but you're involved very much in NRDC. And I want to mention that a yes. little bit because it's obviously a passion for you. Oh, it is. And I just uh, recently, I'm very proud now to serve as a board member. And that gives me great joy. And I'm, and I'm, I'm really honored to be there. Was there ever a hesitancy for you in terms of using your voice for activism? I mean, obviously it feels like nowadays we're in such dire straits where it's like, let's to hell with any perceived, like using my voice for ill. I mean, this is like now or never, we have to kind of like use what we've got. In, in terms of the climate crisis? Yeah, and, well, that in particular, and, I guess generally speaking, but the climate crisis in particular. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I really choose to, I mean, I think one has to be careful as a famous person, uh, how you put yourself out there, because what you don't want to do is uh, diminish the strength of the message. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a lawyer. Uh, but I believe in the work that they do. I'm a concerned citizen. And, uh, you know, it's not global warming, it's globe warmed and, and getting hotter. Yeah. So um, I, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm in one of those horrible dreams in which you're trying to, you're being attacked and you're trying to scream and there's no sound coming out of your mouth. That's how I feel about this environmental crisis we're in. When we spoke at the end of Veep, uh, you talked about how much you enjoyed uh, that as a, a way of um, just uttering expletives with reckless abandon. Yes. In that character. Have you been finding a new way to vent in the months since you've stopped shooting? Or are you now just walking the streets muttering to yourself. You mean because over the political climate? Well, not even that. I'm just saying generally you need an outlet now for what you can't go on set to scream these expletives. Well, that's true. But but, you know, it's interesting. I think I got them out of my system. Oh, wow. You're squeaky clean now. I wouldn't go that far. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A couple of last things. I'm excited to hear that you have an Apple uh, deal. Yeah. So what's the mandate? What are you looking, are these all vehicles for yourself or for others? What what are you trying to- I think mainly for myself, but if something comes along that is, that I can sink my teeth into or I find particularly interesting for someone else, I I don't uh, discount the notion of, of developing something for someone else too. Cool. 
So this podcast in particular we've created for, for the Sundance Film Festival is called The Festival Rules. Okay. You're a newbie to Sundance. I am. But I have been asking everybody, like, what for, – for those that aren't as fortunate as you and I to go to a festival like Sundance, yeah. what's a rule to enjoy something like that? If they have the opportunity to come to Sundance, what's a rule now, having gone through your first Sundance Film Festival, that will let them appreciate the Sundance Film Festival? Oh, my goodness. Um well, I, you know, admittedly, I didn't get to go to any movies, right? right. Which is the purpose of, of a film festival, but that's <laughs> you only because- your first Sundance. I know, exactly. No, no, no. But I mean, that's only because I, I'm, I'm out uh, talking to people like that's you, for fault. Christ's sake, yeah, yeah. Um, and didn't have the time to do that. But uh, I, I will say that there is a spirit here that I'm picking up on of uh, camaraderie amongst filmmakers. You know, you're leaving, they have all of these different setups for, as you know, of uh, different outlets talking to filmmakers and you leave one outlet and you walk down a corridor and you go into another one. And as you're walking down, you walk by uh, whoever it happens to be, sure. you know, uh, Richard Jenkins or, you know, Phil Lord or whoever. Mm -hmm. And, and. And he was like, hey, hey, great, congratulations, great work. There is a, I don't know, it's very collegial that yeah. way. And I, I dig that. It's going to make the sad, drab hotel rooms of a normal junket all that more soul-crushing. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies in advance. Right. Um, I'm glad we got a chance to catch up here. Congratulations on the film. Thank Everybody you. check out Downhill this Valentine's Day. And thanks for wrapping up my Sundance. Oh, my goodness. Fashion. My pleasure. Thank you. That was my chat with Julia Louis-Dreyfus, star of Downhill. It opens this February 14th. She's very funny. Very funny in the movie. So uh, we're, we've come to the end, buddy. Dude, I can't believe I forgot to include Untitled Pizza Movie. It's in six episodes by David Shapiro about three lives of these guys eating pizza for nine, since the 90s, for like 30 years. I have a question. Is it going to be called Untitled Pizza Movie? Or yeah, that... no, it's called Untitled Pizza Movie. Okay, I respect that. Because they worked on it for 30 years, and it's about their friendship, but they were trying to find the perfect slice of pizza in the 90s in New York. Uh, it's part of the episodic uh, lineup at Sundance. I can't believe I forgot that one. Had to squeeze it in. Love it. Love it. Okay. So some, some thank yous. Uh, I want to mention NRDC. We've mentioned them before, but the Natural Resources Defense Council, in addition to being one of the most important groups out there that is just trying to save our planet, uh, you can go to NR nrdc.org to find out all about their cause, was also kind enough to host a bunch of our conversations. They're in, the best. They're incredible. Their staff was incredible. But what was so nice about the experience working with them, so you and I have done so many Sundance uh, interviews in media lounges. And oftentimes they just get so crowded and packed and you don't even know what it's promoting. And in one room, Steve Aoki is throwing a cake against the wall. And then in another room, uh, you know, some filmmakers trying to get their movie sold and they're just like hodgepodge messes. This had a vibe. It was chill. It had a focus. Like you said, NRDC doing incredible work. So a big, uh, a big shout out and thank you to them for hosting us. We also had a couple of great sponsors that were kind enough to help us out. Uh, Geico, we should mention Medterra. <laughs> Medterra saved me every morning. I got to be honest. <laughs> that CBD gave me a little shot, gave me a little Kramer giddy up, got me going. <laughs> also want to shout out the guy who uh, pitch, uh, picked us up the first night when we were hitchhiking to the Taylor Swift movie. Th thank you for not murdering us. Thank you for not mur murdering us, John from Colorado. <laughs> who else you want to give some thank well, yous we to? Have, we have to say Action Park Media, obviously, that are the guys that really made this happen and produce this. Uh, our thanks uh, to Nayrod and Kevin who made this show possible. Both Kevins, I should say. I want to thank every single publicist I saw out in Utah whose name I 
clearly forgot because you guys <laughs> didn't call me out on that. I apologize. Uh, but the publicists who all you know supported this podcast and it just helped us throughout the entire week. Thank you to all of you. And a lot of like, uh, you know, I was going to say random, but they're not random. They're important to us. People that kind of like stopped us on the street and said, thanks for Skippy. Yeah, Skippy. Skippy uh, and Rudy. Skippy. Skippy is a Sundance icon, a Park City icon. We've been seeing him for over a decade there. You know, what's wild about Skippy, Josh. Um, from walking up and down Main Street, we run into him every year. He takes pictures with all the real celebrities, but he's kind enough to talk to us. Uh, he gave me some New York Knicks socks that he brought specifically to Sundance because he knew he would see me. That was so kind and was so sweet, especially with the horrible news of, of Kobe's passing. I look at it in a different context of the gift of the game of basketball has given me in my life, and that's human connection. So, Skippy, I really genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, appreciate those socks, dude. That was super cool. Love it. Any more thanks before we go to yeah, the festival? Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I want to thank all the DJs, Mr. Best, Spider, Michelle, that's family, Deb Fast from Tao. I want to thank uh, every chef in Park City who fed us real food. Anytime we had a real meal, it was delicious. I don't know what you guys are doing with cauliflower out there. Oh, they but are. Kung Pao cauliflower is definitely a thing. Yeah, the catering at the handle party. Handle, handle, right. great restaurant uh, over on Heber <laughs> for sure. Um, I want to thank my buddy Hayden Kim. Hayden works at Bleacher Report covering sneakers, but he came to Sundance for the first time with an open mind and an open heart, and he got to see some movies and experience it. And he just put up on his Instagram that now he's coming to Sundance every year for the rest of his life. So that means a lot to me that you know the next generation of creators and storytellers are being inspired to come out to Utah. So shout out to Hayden. Excellent. Okay, so before we go, I feel like it's appropriate given the title of this podcast. It's the Festival Rules. This is the end of our first run of hopefully many. Uh, do you have any more Festival Rules, Ben? See, one, one Festival Rule. If you get to go to a film festival with Josh Horowitz, get him to go to an 80s-themed dance party because he gets super <laughs> uncomfortable. you got to experience that once. Um, my number one Festival Rule is talk to people. We spend so much of our lives looking at our screen walking with our heads down in our own mind, in our own head, just talk to people. Where are you from? What have you seen? What are you doing here? What have you liked? That human connection is what makes Sundance and other film festivals so special is that art brings us all together, but you have to, you have to talk, you have to engage. You yep. can't just be in your own timeline. M mine is similar uh, in some ways to that. And it's a little bit sappy, but true. If you have the opportunity Go with a friend, go with a collaborator, and, and it makes it all the more satisfying, honestly, especially the last few years when we've gone to Sundance together and this way in the most like kind of like concrete way we really collaborated on this. Uh, to go through anything in life with somebody, with a partner, with a friend is more meaningful and certainly going through a festival like this where you can talk about art and real life and all this stuff uh, has made this experience uh, really special and hopefully we'll get to do Thanks, this again. Thanks, man. Yeah, our friends Charlie and Sal too who are out there rolling with us. Um, you're absolutely right. Movies and art are supposed to be shared and to share it with you, who's the ultimate cinephile, um, who know, who's just, uh, yeah, been there for me, uh, through a lot of tough stuff in my life and for the good times as well. Uh, I appreciate you, Josh. You're the best at what you do. And just to get to be your plus one is, is, a, is an honor and a privilege. <laughs> just don't invite me to any more 80s dance Yeah, because the places that, where you're my plus one, I feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like putting you and your life and your in jeopardy. So not at all, not, not I, at all. I, I appreciate being your plus one. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> so, okay, we're at the very end, finally. Yeah. Um, thank you, guys. 
guys for listening to this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Now, if you've only seen, listened to this one episode because you were interested in Julia Louis-Dreyfus, there are nine other episodes. With some or amazing- our awards for Sundance, exactly. the best of from the festival rules. <laughs> exactly. The good news is there are uh, 10 total podcasts here waiting for your ears and your friends' ears. Obviously, some amazing talent uh, that we talked to. So it was a real privilege. We hope to do this again. Uh, please, you know, even though the pod- this run of the podcast is over, uh, give us a review, spread the good word, and that will hopefully let us do this one more time. See you at Sunday. It's in 300, uh, what, it's 59 days? Oh, gosh. All right. <laughs> Don't See get you. too excited. 2021, here we come. <laughs>